Hey, this is Claudia Andraki with Desert Bloom Eco Farm. This is Myrene, owner and grower at Sundown Mushrooms. Hi, this is Andrea from Poppin' Pies, and you're listening to Two Sharp Chefs. Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two Sharp Chefs and a microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. Happy almost Thanksgiving, Louis. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Very close, very, very close. Um, and it's this time of year that we like to kind of think a little bit more, um, give Thanksgiving just a little bit more perspective. Not that we don't love turkey and all the sides. We talk about that stuff, the pies, obviously. We just talked about pies. Um, but it's important to realize that a lot of us um, growing up really didn't get the whole history of what happened and how America started. Um, we kind of got like a, you know, really cleansed version of like pilgrims and Native Americans, which back then they called Indians. And, you know, it's just not quite exactly what happened. Um, and I'm obviously being sarcastic right there. So um, we're so excited because we finally have someone on that is an expert in indigenous food. Um, super exciting. Louie and I both want to learn about it. Um, it's something that we all should be learning about because we're Americans. And she's just an amazing awesome indigenous woman of color, Andy Murphy, host of a Toasted Sister podcast. So speaking of women of color, strong, amazing women of color, um, we can't let this slip by without talking about it. So in pandemic provisions today, we are not talking food. We are talking about this. Oh my gosh, I'm getting chills. Just thinking about it. Um, what just happened in the country, which is the first female vice president, Kamala Harris. Um, and it just means something to us. Um, I mean, I could speak for myself in the sense that last night I was, I was like an emotional, just like on a roller coaster. I had been for days, but last night was just like the height of it, you know? And um, I was explaining to one of my friends because she was fighting everybody on Twitter and that's hilarious to me, but I try not to do that. Uh, but I was kind of liking the stuff that she was saying. And, you know, she's a woman and, she was just really trying to get people to understand that at this point with this particular item, um, this particular topic, it's not just about politics in a lot of ways. It's really mostly about um, representation. And, you know, as a woman of color and both of us um, and as women <laughs> and um, she's half South Asian, which is the first time ever, um, half black, first time ever, uh, first female vice president, uh, first uh, vice president of two immigrants. So a daughter of two immigrants, um, just so many things that just made it so emotional for me. And honestly, you didn't expect the emotion that happened. Um, maybe the most, no, definitely the most emotional I've ever been after an election. I was crying and I realized I was crying because of the happiness of it. And then I was still crying after because I realized it was like also like just being tired <laughs> and frustrated um, with how long it took to be in this position. Um, obviously grateful, but then it's like that woo, 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 yeah. wave of emotion um so happy that it happened wish it was sooner but i guess things take time and um so how did you do how, how are you feeling 
feeling great. I'm actually floored by this win. Um, it was exhausting <laughs> counting up to it in Nevada. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But anyways, um, it really touched a nerve that to see a woman become elected as vice president because it was not just like it made history. Yeah. Um, you also kind of like are entering really symbolic change. I mean, for 200 years, a woman has not like held such a high dignified position like that. And uh, I think Kamal Harris will do well being a symbol of like, you know, the resurgence, the golden age of women. And it would be great if we could just at least unite in the cause of honoring people, everyone, and um, giving everyone a seat, which this is a beautiful step. And just thinking about things you know, and, and learning from mistakes in the past, you know? Um, and in that vein, Louis, um, we really need to learn more about indigenous food and indigenous culture. We're gonna start with an amazing young Native American journalist who's just really out there right now and just doing some amazing things for um, indigenous culture, Andy Murphy. Louie, today we get the honor of talking with Annie Murphy, the host of the Toasted Sister podcast, a show about indigenous food and culture. And the reason why we're so excited about this is because we haven't gotten yet to talk to anybody about indigenous food. And it's been on our list of things to do um, for since the beginning. So about a year and a half ago is, you know, this is one of the things we really wanted to talk more about and learn more about because we're both chefs and because we care about people and food and culture. So thank you so much for joining us, Andy. Of course. You're welcome. I love, I love any chance to talk about Native American food. Yes. Um, so I'd like to start with your background. Uh, you grew up on the Navajo Reservation uh, in New Mexico. Um, what did you grow up eating on that reservation? Did it include many indigenous foods or was it sort of, you know, the same thing as every other American? Mac and cheese and marshmallows and rice krispie treats, that kind of thing. (laughs) Macaroni and cheese and marshmallows. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Potato salad. I don't know. Uh, you know, yeah, the latter, um, grew up what I grew up eating, what a lot of, you know, poor Americans, um, ate, you know, lots of cheap food, lots of food that's, uh, you know, easy to put together. Uh, you know, we had a full house. Um, and my parents, you know, would, would cook those kinds of food for us. Uh, One of my favorites growing up was just plain white rice and ground beef. (laughs) (laughs) Some soy sauce or just, um, salt, but, um, you know, those are the kind of like simple, simple foods that we grew up eating every now and then we would have, um, uh, you know, especially around fair time, um, a couple of different um, uh, traditional things like kneel down bread and uh, blue corn mush and different corn soups. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was pretty much it. You know, my family was very affected by uh, colonization and boarding schools and removal and stuff like that. And that's the story of a lot of Native Americans um, in this country. You know, we had those things forcefully taken away from us, all that knowledge and ingredients and seeds and, you know, that that was forcefully taken away from us in a couple of different ways uh, over a couple of different generations. So, you know, I'm a product of that. Uh, so when, uh, you know, when I left college, I got to, you know, 
have my own freedom and develop my palate and taste different things and not always have to go to the same restaurant with my parents. <laughs> they have their one their one or two restaurants that they love to go to and they never took us anywhere else. So, you know, I got my first taste of other kind of food when I when I went over to uh, college at um, Las Cruces in uh, New Mexico State University. So um, I know that you've had to then rediscover food from your ancestors, um, which is, you know, similar to a lot of us who are either first or second generation immigrants to this country. It's like our families in many ways also forced us kind of, you know, to assimilate right. <laughs> because they thought that was the way to, um, you know, make it easier for us, I guess, in a lot of ways. That's, that's mm-hmm. what my parents and my grandparents told me. But, um, you know, like for me, you know, growing up sometimes when I would be with certain family members who didn't do that, um, you know, they would call me like a banana or something, you know, they thought it was hilarious, you know, um, yellow on the outside, white on the inside, Apple. <laughs> uh, whatever it is. Right. And it's yeah. just like, it's, it's funny, but then also like not funny because it's like terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what has been your journey? I guess you said Apple. So what's been your journey from being, you know, an Apple <laughs> an to Apple. becoming a, a person that, you know, <laughs> wants to learn about culture? How has that journey been for you? I spend you know, a lot of my time just learning about other people. I'm a journalist. So I um, hear other people's stories and, you know, um, hear, hear a lot about how they are connecting with their indigenous, you know, culture, ceremony, language, food, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I haven't, I haven't really like, you know, made it a personal mission to do that for myself. So I'm not like, yeah, I am still like at the beginning uh, stages of this journey and how I'm, I'm easing myself into that is, uh, with food. Um, but I'm taking kind of like an inner tribal, you know, sort of way around it because that's, I think a lot easier for me living in the city. You know, I work, uh, you know, two jobs, almost, (laughs) almost two jobs doing my podcast and my full-time job as a radio producer for Native America Call-In. Um, so, so I, I'm learning how to use these different ingredients from different tribes, like, you know, wild rice and maple syrup and different squashes from all over. It, it takes a lot of time to make these connections. And you can't just like open up a book or, <laughs> or there's a website and there it all is. You have right. to somebody in your community and maybe even in your family who has that kind of knowledge who can you know, stick with you and, and help you through that journey. But was there like a pivotal moment or like a pivotal, like a a dish that you can think of that kind of like, whoa, Eureka, you know, this is my path. Well, I would say, um, watching chef Nephi Craig in the kitchen, uh, God, how many years ago? It's probably like four or five years ago. I went over to the place he was cooking, which was a a resort on his reservation in um, beautiful, beautiful mountains in Arizona uh, to do like a photo essay. Uh, So I got to spend a whole, you know, seven course dinner in the back of the kitchen, taking photos of everything. I felt like I was in the way, (laughs) but he was like, no, that's cool. You know, we'd love to be, you know, in your, in your publication. So I took pictures of everything and then I got to eat everything. And 
to this day, I think it's still like maybe the second or third, <laughs> my favorite meal that I've ever had, the favorite, my favorite food I've ever had. Um, and it was a, like a mushroom dinner made for the Mushroom Society of Arizona, uh. <laughs> some group like that. So they foraged all these mushrooms like for a whole week or so. And then he got to cook like this big old seven course dinner and I got awesome. to watch it all come together. And, uh, I mean, that, that was, that was, yeah, a turning point where I was like, I need, I really want to learn how to cook. I want to learn how to cook like this and, and, you know, mix in, um, contemporary food and cooking with all of these indigenous and even wild ingredients. Yeah. So, That's exciting. Yeah, that That's time. exciting. <laughs> I, I, I could totally see how like it would be intimidating for somebody to pick up like a wild ingredient that, you know, nobody has any resource for, you yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> at the same time, it's like so thrilling to be able to kind of like reach that territory in one's cooking. Yeah, it is. It is. I've had just a, a couple of, you know, samples, like, you know, little teeny cups, uh, samples of some indigenous, like Navajo, like pudding um, made with, I think it was sumac berry. It was like really red, like a burgundy sort of color. Um, I've, yeah, That's I've awesome. had that. And then like three different teas and, um, you know, a soup that, you know, had corn and the three sisters in it and everything, uh, corn, beans and squash. Um, and those were all like from the land. Like those were the, those are the ingredients or were, you know, were the ingredients that my ancestors, uh, were eating and that, you know, this pocket of people still had access and, and knowledge to. Uh, so that was really cool getting to taste these different things. Um, but, you know, when when we talk about like decolonizing our diets, when we talk about like going back and, you know, learning about what our ancestors were cooking and what how they were cooking these things. I think we also have to like just keep in mind that we're still modern day eaters our palate is like way over here on this side mm -hmm. and our ancestors, they had a palate that was like way over here on this side. So, there, you know, a lot of chefs and, and people who are doing this work in native America, they're combining the two. Yeah. There's only a couple of people who are like really straightforward, a hundred percent, you know, <laughs> fully 100% indigenous um, who, who are cooking that way and who, you know, are, are really like blessed in all of that knowledge. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, you know, I'm going to use butter. <laughs> I'm going to use butter. I'm going to mix it with boba, you know, and <laughs> make my own Navajo boba tea. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we need you to help us to understand native food sovereignty. So it's a lot about kind of what you were just talking about, which is reclaiming power in the food system. Mm -hmm. Um, I just started learning about Navajo Nation and some of the challenges that they face. Um, Navajo Nation is the biggest reservation in the United States, um, but it's also a food desert is what I found out. So just 10 grocery stores serving approximately 150,000 people. That's obviously a systemic problem. Wow. What does food sovereignty mean to you? To me... It means um, making sure that these foods are accessible um, to us first and then 
you know, to other people for economic development. But there are different definitions of food sovereignty. You can have food sovereignty like on a tribal level, a political level. You can have food sovereignty in your own um, own little community, um, whether that's urban or in Indian country. And Indian country is a, a legal term for reservation. Um, or you can have that personal food sovereignty, um, making sure that you make uh, those personal connections to indigenous food and to that knowledge. So uh, for me, it means um, just that, that last one, <laughs> making sure that I have, uh, I, I, that I invite these uh, ingredients into my food pantry here at, in my house and supporting the uh, tribal uh, businesses that are, you know, growing, packaging and uh, selling some of these foods. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a huge question. Um, and it's a big giant concept and it's, it's happening, you know, in different, different levels all over the place. You know, it's for Navajo nation, you know, food sovereignty means creating food in the reservation so that there is, so it isn't no longer a, a food desert. Yeah. Um, it is making sure that people have healthy food. <laughs> we need to talk about Thanksgiving and, you know, the decolonization of the holiday. Um, first, I just want to ask you just for, from your own opinion, is Thanksgiving, is it a pain point for you? No. Okay. Um, you know, we, uh, on, on the Navajo Nation, or at least how I grew up, grew up, we had the same, you know, kind of education as everybody else. You know, mm-hmm. the cartoonish, like, oh, the Indians came and the pillars. The lack of education. It was nice. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had, you know, our Thanksgiving, you know, programs and food at, um, at school. Um, but, you know, I, it, it wasn't. It wasn't like something that at the dinner table at home, my parents would be like, okay, let's talk about the pilgrims. <laughs> we just didn't do that. It was, it's a football holiday, really. Um, and it's still a football holiday uh, today. Um, How do you navigate this time of year? I mean, do you have the same kind of Thanksgiving or do you try to introduce indigenous foods Mm -hmm. into your Thanksgiving? Okay. So for the last like three years, since I've been really learning how to cook and getting kind of good at it, I've been doing my own Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. like coming up with a menu that I want to come up with (laughs) and just serving it to the family the day before the actual Thanksgiving dinner. And then Thanksgiving dinner is like the regular turkey stuffing, uh, rolls and, you know, that kind of stuff. But (laughs) this year, um, I'm going to do a vegetarian one. I've got, I want to do a salad, like a pumpkin salad. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I've been, I've been trying to introduce my family to all of these new foods and that's kind of like the exciting thing, um, that, that I think young people are capable of, uh, we're curious and we have, we, we have access to, you know, all of these different restaurants and we have access to like tons of cooking videos and cooking stuff and food stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I hope like young native, 
native kids are getting like really hungry and curious and starting to bring that into their own kitchens and like help change the palate of the whole family because that's so so deeply important too to this whole thing it's like changing your palate and developing your palate um and that's what I kind of like forced my family to do (laughs) because here I am just in love with food and I'm like you know you guys have to try this here let's let's have it or let's go to this like Vietnamese restaurant or this Cuban restaurant and just try it and now at first they were like hesitant and they were like annoyed with me but I forced them through that (laughs) and now they're like oh, is that Cuban place you get, you took us to? We want to go there. Or mm-hmm. it was so cute. Like last year, my parents, they were, um, they were doing their shopping in Gallup, which is, you know, a couple, uh, an hour away from where they live on the res. They live on the res still. Uh, they were in Gallup and they were like, uh, where can we find falafels in Gallup? Can you Google for us? And <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> I'm going to open up my laptop for this one. So I found them. <laughs> found them some falafels in Gallup and and the same thing when they took a little trip around um to Tennessee I don't know it was like a little round trip road trip they did they they let us pick all the restaurants for them that's cute <laughs> and now awesome. they're just like so open to everything now yeah and I hope that's happening in a lot more um native families yeah Andy, I know you said that it's important to first sort of like put on your own oxygen mask and then put on others. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I get it that you need to help your people first and and probably no more so than indigenous people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You need to help yourself first. I get it. Um, At the same time, you do have allies out there. Um, And as allies, we would like to do better. So as non-Native Americans, how can we honor indigenous people during this season? Um, because we would like to. Um, can we honor indigenous people and still celebrate Thanksgiving? Um, what's your take on that? Um, I would love to see it as, I, w- I would just love to see the whole day just um, erased and rebranded as like football holiday or something. <laughs> I don't I mean, you know, we have this whole month of, you know, Native American Heritage Month, and it's usually the the busiest month for folks like me who are speaking, who are, you know, cooking out there. So, you know, there's that. There's, there's, um, you know, some some good things happening in schools where they are inviting, you know, more Native history and education. Um, but, you know, if you want to do that around this holiday, you know, it's still going to be a federal holiday and everything. Mm-hmm. If you want to do that, just like... Uh, just look at, look for the tribes in your own state mm-hmm. and look for the tribes that are, um, yeah, that are, that are local. Uh-huh. And I do have a whole big giant list. I think it's still the biggest one out there, but <laughs> it's a big giant list of native food businesses and a big map of native uh, restaurants and catering companies out there. If you want to go and support those guys, there's that whole list there on my website, toastedsisterpodcast.com. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, learning that history, learning the real history of Native Americans is also like really beneficial too. It's going to make uh-huh. you 
angry. It's oh, gonna, yes. Oh, I've gone there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm <laughs> asking you the question. I've gone there. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's going to make you angry. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable, but just get through it. I mean, I think some people are just so uncomfortable and so like afraid of being angry. Once mm. you get over it, then, you know, then it's, it's easier to uh, be respectful. It's easier to be understanding and it's easier just just like stop being so ignorant. Of course, we love Sean Sherman's uh, sous chef's indigenous cookbook. Um, I've been cooking out of that cookbook very recently, actually. Um, who else needs to be on our radar? Because, Andy, I know that you know a lot of these amazing mm-hmm. chefs. I like to I like to watch um, Elena Terry. She she does, you know, some educational programs and she's uh, my mentor under this program called uh, Native American Culinary Mentorship Program. But that kind of just got screwed up during COVID-19. So that's kind of on hold. It got 2020. <laughs> yeah. So she's really exciting to watch. She just can she just travels all over too, cooking with different tribes. And then um, Chef Nico Albert in Oklahoma, she's Cherokee. She's going to be coming out with some really awesome stuff too. She got 2020 as well from her executive chef job and just, oh. um, you know, it looks like she took the time to just rethink about, rethink how she wants to use her culinary skills to educate people about Cherokee food. We would like to move on to show and tell. So, Andy, what did you bring for us? I'm not really like a gadget person. I get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys might That's understand. Okay. Like, all I use is like a spoon and a chef's knife and I'm good to go. But <laughs> this, this thing, I got to go down here and pick it up. It's, <laughs> it's a tabletop. It's a tabletop, you know, convection oven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has like the little fan in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, because I live by myself, I cook, you know, for myself. Um, I'm single, so. Shameless <laughs> <laughs> plug. Yeah. All right. She's looking for a chef, man. I am. I am. It's so annoying how like other like dudes, some dudes out there can't cook. Um, (laughs) Oh, I get it. (laughs) But um, yeah, so this thing, I love using this thing because, you know, you can just make a little, a little bit of something and it's good enough for, for, for just one person. Um, (laughs) I have a big giant oven that I can use, but it's just why. Yeah. Why, right? <laughs> if I'm just going to make like one cake or, you know, roast a couple of vegetables for a salad, I'll just use this thing here. I don't think I've turned my oven, my big oven on. In, in a while? Like, in a while. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. since like last winter. Wow. So you use almost, you do almost everything in there? Yeah. yeah it's, it's a conviction. Wow. So, so yeah, little cakes. Let's uh let's debunk the air fryer. The air fryer is a convection oven as well. It is. The, the fan is like pointing downwards. Yeah, you don't need so that, it. That's why it, the design's kind of like a basket. But like a regular convection oven will do the same thing. You can fry fries and and do your air fryer thing in a regular yeah. convection oven such as that. All right, Louie, it's that time. On the fly, 60 seconds, rapid fire questions, this time with Andy Murphy, host of Toasted Sister Podcast. Are you ready, Andy? Yes, yes. Let's do this. Start the timer. Go, Louie. Go. All right, Miss Goth Girl, favorite black colored food? Uh, chocolate cake. 
best thing about your cats, Carrot and Lucy? Their eyes are so green. Um, favorite entree to cook? Oh my god, just a rhubarb steak. Mm, what temperature? Uh, medium rare. What's your childhood food craving? <laughs> that rice and meat. Feel good music. Oh my god, dark wave. Dream place to travel and photograph. Oh, oh my god, back to Ireland. Ooh. Current food obsession. Uh, mackerel spaghetti. <laughs> What'd you say? Mackerel spaghetti. Did you say mackerel spaghetti? Like the fish? Yes, the fish in a can. No what way. With the red that? sauce? Spaghetti. Yeah, a red sauce. I can totally see that. I love I love sardines. Yeah. I Okay, uh, so so it's um you know fresh tomatoes. If uh-huh. you're just cooking for one, um it's three tomatoes, a little bit of shallot, a little bit of garlic, uh, you know, like one little anchovy. Let that go for a little bit till it gets saucy. Um angel hair pasta, and then right at the end, your basil, capers, and the drained canned uh mackerel. Wow. That's awesome. I, gotta try I really gotta try that. I feel like you have like almost like a Southeast Asian palate. She your, does. Your, your ground meat like and rice and soy sauce and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask a few more questions. No. <laughs> your best holiday side dish. Oh my God. French fries? All right. You don't have it like Fourth of July and hot dogs and fries. Oh, okay. Okay, that does make sense. Okay, then. All right. Ba- uh, best Thanksgiving holiday side. Dish. Yes. Oh my god. Um. Uh. Red chili. Okay. That's, right. uh, that's a New Mexican thing. What is one black mailable fact about you? Ghosting people, you know, dating apps and stuff. You know, you meet yeah. people, go on dates, whatever, whatever. And then I just like to just cut it off, especially if they don't know how to cook. Uh, oh, <laughs> she's really looking for a chef, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, so a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, <laughs> I, I, it's awful, but I just revel in like their continued text messages and the like <laughs> wow that is oh a blackmailable fact I love yeah. that yeah oh that could be yeah, blackmailable <laughs> she's goth and she ghosts people Louis. you notice awesome. the theme going on there <laughs> alright last thing Andy we're gonna have you sell it for Toasted Sister Podcast this is probably the largest uh, collection of Native American voices in the culinary world uh, ever I mean I'm almost on episode 70 uh, um, you know I rarely talk to people twice so that's almost 70 different people who are doing all this great work across Native America so um, yeah listen to it it's an, an award-winning podcast thank you so much uh, Andy Murphy hosted sister podcasts we loved having you on and we loved learning and we want to learn some more Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. 
And check out Two Sharp Chefs. That's with a number two on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions and ideas at twosharpchefs at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week.